Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? Not too bad at all, thanks, Excellent. John. Busy this week? Yeah. Lots, lots going frying, on. Frying, the keyboard's frying this yeah. week. It was a very uh, sort of last minute rush to get the old alpha report done today. I'm only just here. But you're here, and that's what matters. Right. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about some of today's news rather than what's happening uh, What's happened in the past week. So BT have come out with some news today, uh, which wasn't great. Unilever, also some news that wasn't great. And we're going to talk about Apple, which was yesterday. What that, yeah, yesterday? Yeah. And that news really was very, very good indeed. Let's start with the good news. Let's talk Apple. This is a, a company that just continues to defy the sceptics in that, you know, and it also flies in the face of... You know, one of the old Jim Slater sayings that elephants don't gallop. Mm, it's well, galloping at a pace. Isn't this it, is really? absolutely stomping. I mean, it's 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 the world's most valuable listed company at one point four trillion dollars. I know there are rumours that Saudi Aramco might be worth more than that, but that's you've also got Microsoft nipping at its heels. It's been it's about been a, a sort of two two horse race between those two companies. Yeah, so Microsoft is about you know, hundred billion or so less. Only a hundred billion. Yeah, a small number in the grand scheme of these companies, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, Apple now is more than the you know the, the size of quite decent sized European economies. Yeah, in terms of you know what you have to pay for it. Yeah, I mean, are the shares expensive? I, they are. I mean, every time I've looked at it in the past, they haven't been that expensive. No, they, now they're getting. Yeah, these, these, this is a company that's been the share price has essentially been driven by a big re-rating of the earnings. Mm. Um, the concern with Microsoft, and one, one which I think is a legitimate concern, is that this is a company that's been too dependent on the iPhone for its sales and, and its profits. It's still very dependent on the iPhone. Uh, you know, if we look at the results that have come out in the last day or so, which were its third quarter sales, so it's where it makes its most money because it's got Christmas and Thanksgiving. And also, it's usually the quarter that follows the launch of uh, of the new iPhone. Yeah. Still 60% of revenues are, are coming from the iPhone. But they're growing quickly. So iPhone sales were up 7.6%. Yeah, so they were a big up. big jump from, we got, from a big big number already. Yeah, but we've had a, we've had a period of quite soft, soft iPhone, mm-hmm. iPhone sales. Um, there has been a general reluctance of Apple consumers and iPhone users to upgrade because the sort of latest rein, latest incarnation of of the iPhone doesn't do didn't do much more than the previous one did and you could argue that you know the iPhone 11 and the iPhone 11 Pro doesn't do that much more than what most users need it to do. It's got a funky camera. I actually own an iPhone 11. Okay. I treated myself to an iPhone 11 about six weeks ago. And I, I, I had previously had an iPhone 7. For me, the biggest, the biggest wow factor on, on it is the battery life. Uh, I can get two days charge out of it. That's really important. I mean, I've got an iPhone 7. And yeah. The thing dies in half an half an hour. Yeah. I mean? uh, so and, up- and, and and actually, I upgraded the operating system recently, and it's been doing lots of weird things, and it's probably pushing me to that point where I'm going to need to upgrade. That's ever the story with Apple products. Yeah, that's a, a cynical side to it, <laughs> and one that I think you know potentially has had some merit to it. I mean, I've upgraded from a seven, and the battery life is just night. It's night and day, which is a good thing, but may actually end up being a bad thing because someone like me might look at it and think, right, this is great battery life, does what I want it to do. In two years' time or three years' time, I'll just get a new battery. 
Can you replace the battery? You can, yeah. Right. Yeah, Apple do it, Apple do it themselves. It costs fifty pounds. Yeah. Rather than seven hundred. Because batteries, batteries do wear out. Yeah, I've just changed a battery on my daughter, who's got an, an old iPhone six, and it's just transformed. You know her use of it. Mm. There is that scope that if people want an Apple product, they can change the battery. You can look at refurbished models, but refurbished models that Apple are trying to sell them for almost the same as new. So that's not really working out. I guess one of the big stories here is the wearables and accessory side of things. And I, before Christmas, we were talking about the the little what do they call them? The, Air, uh, AirPods. AirPods, little wireless headphones, mm. and, and and I think they'd sold out. You couldn't buy them for love nor money before Christmas. I managed to get a pair for for my son. And was he happy with them? Oh, yeah. I mean, you see everyone wearing them, and that's reflected in these numbers here. Uh, wearables and accessories, now uh, 11% of the business, and, yeah, and growing very, very quickly. Very, you know, up by more than a third. And, you know, they've got, you've got the Apple Watch, which, which has been a hit, and, uh, and, the, and these AirPods are, you know, they're really good. I, I, even I have a pair. You've got an Apple Watch as well. I have an Apple Watch as well, yeah, but, but I'm not a regular upgrader. I will keep hold of the stuff for, for quite some time. But it's interesting, you know. You dig into this, and you know everything looks pretty good in terms of the. You know, we've got the iPhone coming back, probably continue for the next quarter or so. We've got the wearables. You've got the services side of it, which is the likes of Apple Music, iTunes, iCloud subscriptions. You now got the Apple TV Plus, which I think is a dud. But generally, services revenue is is growing quite nicely as well. But you're still looking at the bulk of the bulk of the revenues and profits coming from from the iPhone, and I think if you look, you know, looking forward, and this is the sort of thing that you know gets lost in the noise. You look at the guidance. Apple's very good at giving giving uh, investors pretty much a line by line guidance for its for its income statement per quarter, and you know there's a reasonable range out there on. On what the second quarter will be, which is anything from six percent growth to twenty-one percent growth, and at the top end has it making fourteen billion of net income or after-tax profit. But people forget, whilst that would be a big growth on two thousand and nineteen, it would only just be a, be more than what they made two years ago in the second quarter. And if you look at the forecast for Apple. Um, I think net income forecasts for this year are around fifty-seven billion dollars, and if we look at two thousand, I think two thousand and eighteen, they made fifty-nine and a half billion dollars. Mm. But on a per share basis, this company is just furiously buying back its its own shares. Um, the earnings per share figure will will be higher. Do we know how much cash has it got? It's it's a stupid number. I it, saw someone tweet it the other day, and I've now forgotten what it's it was. A lot. I can't. I can't remember. It's, it's, it's hundreds of billions. It's, uh, yeah, it's in it's, the hundreds of it, billions. It, well, over a sort of a hundred billion. If yeah. you include all the marketable securities and stuff, and think, hundred and forty is the number that, that's ringing a bell with me. It, I might be wrong. Yeah, but but I think the thing is, is that that cash is actually used used to finance the day to day activities of the business as well. If you had, and, and some of it's been trapped up in various parts of the world. Apple's got ninety billion dollars of debt uh, offset against that mm. against that cash pile but i think the point i'm trying to make here is that it's a great business with great products it's got one and a half billion of active devices it's got a huge ecosystem where the customs are very sticky but actually 
in terms of levels levels of profitability, this business is no further on than it was two years ago. What we've seen here is a business where the you know the the price earnings multiple attached to the attached to the profits has probably doubled. You know, we're now we're now you know Apple could be bought for a low teens. Or even less than yeah, that. It was less than that when I when I first looked at it, which was about seven or eight years ago. I mean, you could have even like not so long ago, you could have bought this on you know eleven, twelve, thirteen times earnings, and now you're looking at paying up twenty five times. So you've had this massive re rating. People, people, rightly or wrongly, people trust the business. They trust this. They trust the 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 one and a half billion active devices, and the owners of those devices will keep replacing and upgrading. And that Apple will be able to sell more stuff to them, but I would just take a bit of a step back from this and just actually look at the sort of the per share numbers which are being boosted by buybacks. Just look at the actual overall level of profitability, and we're, we're no further on. As I said, we're no further on than two years ago. And the other thing to bear in mind is when you're buying back your own stock at eleven, twelve, thirteen, even fifteen times earnings in a market environment or an economic environment where money is cheap, you can enhance your earnings per share quite nicely through through buybacks. When you start paying 25 times earnings, the incremental effect, the benefit to earnings per share by shrinking the share, you, obviously you're buying fewer shares for each dollar. And therefore the, the ability to, to, to really turbocharge your earnings per share growth at a higher price, you know, it just makes normal sense. You're getting you're getting less bang for your buck. So there's a, there's a quality of earnings per share growth here issue, and I just think you know, 25 times earnings for a business is not you know, it's not storming home. It's still very very reliant on a product that is really sort of incremental improvements rather than anything that's revolutionary. And then you've got issues like you know, where's the growth going to come from? And I think if you're looking for one real sort of big issue in in these sets of results, look at the Chinese, the, the sales from China. Uh, there's, there's, you know, there's, it's just not there. Apple cannot crack the world's biggest country. Yeah, well, China has a lot of its own in, indigenous vendors. Uh, yeah, who, who are yeah pretty pretty big names. What, you know, yeah, Huawei, Huawei being, being yeah. obviously what? the one that's in the news this week for, yeah. for very different reasons, but you know perhaps not having cracked China is is, is going to work in Apple's be- benefit for for the time being, given what is happening there. Well, uh, in the last few weeks, it makes a lot of its stuff there. That is true. Yeah, there's a lot to like about lot to like about its products, lot to like about about the company. I just just wonder, you know, where do we where do we go from here? Yeah, could have had this conversation a year ago, and it's gone up. Well, indeed, it's, it's a conversation that's been had many times over over recent years. Uh, yeah. You know, even as far back as when Tim Cook took uh, took the lead job yeah. there. But it, it has continued to gallop. Maybe galloping will get a little bit harder for uh, for Apple from uh, from here think, on in. I think the one positive thing is to say, if you look at if you look at the profit margins, the profit mar the services business has much higher profit margins than than the the products business but there's a lot of people going after the services side of things yeah, in, no. diff- in different ways this isn't a company that's in your fantasy sip apple no you've got i mean your tech plays amazon based on based on the cloud yeah. uh, uh, business there fantasy sip continues to do well not bad not bad how's the uk quality portfolio do all right all right should we talk about something that's perhaps of uh, lower quality where should we start bt or yeah, we'll do BT. Let's talk BT because they've had some numbers out which which show their business is continuing to struggle. 
a year ago, I, I I sort of had a moment of madness where I thought that that BT could get turned around, and now I realise, with the benefit of hindsight, that I was utterly foolish to think such a thing. <laughs> I this company's in real trouble. It's not going to go bankrupt or anything like that. I just think from a from a shareholder's perspective, there, there is no growth in this business. It is it is selling products that are commoditized, that have a lot of competition or are regulated. And the money it makes from those products have to feed a large debt pile and a pension fund deficit. And some very, very significant capital investment uh, commitments. Absolutely. And so the there is just more and more pressure on the amount of spare cash that you can pay out to shareholders. And it's not a question of if it's a question of when and how much the dividend gets cut on this. Consensus forecasts have got about a 20% fall priced in for next year. I think it needs to be a lot bigger than that. And I and I question you know, how sensible it is for this company to actually pay a, a big dividend. I actually think it might be better for this company and better for its share price performance if it actually concentrated on paying down the debt, paying down the pension fund deficit, cleaning the business up, getting out of you know global services, some IT services business. I mean, it's been what's, in the, for years. I mean, what's it's been, the point of that? It's is, going nowhere. It's just a problem. It's a problem business. That's been causing BT problems for 15 years. My, my only reason that they've not got rid, rid of it, is my only thought is that it might cost them more to get out of it than they can to sell it. Mm. You know, the big unknown on this is... You know, is open reach, which is you know the tele, you know the telecoms network business, the broadband and fixed line network business. And BT's in a bit of a sticky patch here, I think, because I think I think the previous management of this company dropped a real clangor in that they tried to roll out fibre broadband on the cheap, in that they they ran open reach as a cash cow. Um. You know, investment in this business was was running, you know, not much more than about a billion pounds a year for quite a long time. And they were just essentially trying to squeeze capacity, bandwidth, speed out of the copper network. And to be fair, they've done quite a good job of it. I mean, the technology is actually pretty good. I mean, if you are lucky enough to live near enough to your green box at the end of the road, broadband can do most of what you want to do. Uh, my experience, I have BT, well, they call it fibre. Yeah. It's not really fibre to the premises, it's, as we know. It's fibre to the to the box, cabinet. And then, and then you've got the copper, pipe, copper wire coming in from there. Yeah. My experience of it is, is it's not very reliable. Okay. So so some days it's good. How far, are you, how far are you from the green cabinet? I haven't checked, actually, but I can't be that near. I don't actually know where it is, so I can't be that near to it. And we, we just get times where, you know, it's just it's grinds to a halt. We're about we're about three hundred meters from the from the cabinet, and we get pretty good speed. We get about sixty megabits per second. I, I just don't think it's 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 not the future of where the no, technology needs to be. No, but I think that's the point you're making about rolling this out on the cheap. I am, but they've actually done. I mean, if they look at what they've done with copper now, they have this technology called GFAST, which can deliver over a hundred megabits per second, maybe up to one hundred and fifty megabits per second. But you know, if you're looking at future proofing and providing a service that can 
you know, serve people well for years into the future. And, you know, we're talking about something which is fundamental to the the well-being and competitiveness of the UK economy yep. as well here. Then you need fibre to the premises or fibre to the house, whatever you want to call it. And that's a sort of 300 megabits per second plus type speed. And BT is, you know, aiming to get 4 million, 4 million premises by 2021 and it wants to get to 15 million by 2025 but it's only going to do that if it can get a return on its investment and obviously the capex is going up at the moment to do this 4 million and it wants some guarantees from ofcom it wants some guarantees from the government on things like business rates because there are business rates involved here with this infrastructure that it can make a turn on this the problem is is that bt's not the only game in town with this anymore either you know, yeah, are, I mean, I think it's in terms of Ofcom, it's arguably BT as a as a whole, not just Openreach, has arguably had a, a bit of a sort of easy ride from the regulator over the years, anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, the very fact that Openreach and BT are still part of the same company shows that it's had an easy ride, and the fact that it's running it for cash highlights why BT was not doing wanted... that now. No, but it was. Oh, it was absolutely. It was. it was. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I always thought that relationship was odd. Separate the infrastructure and have marketing companies selling services. That's well, what's do. happened. It's what's well. That, that's that's how you get a, a proper functioning market here. Yeah, I mean, but and it's not. There are other companies out there. You know, City Fiber, Vodafone, Virgin Media is already doing bits of it. You know, I'm sure for the right price, Virgin Media would go and dig up the roads um, to do fiber to the fiber to the premises. The other thing that BT's got, though, it's a bit like Royal Mail in some ways, and it has this universal, universal service, service obligation, obligation yeah. which, you know, hamstring, you know, hamstrings it with you know, a lot of legacy costs. Mm. Well, I'm sure a new government will make the right decision on this. It's, uh, it's proving adept at doing so uh, since, since winning the elections this week. It's upset quite a lot of its voters. Yeah, yeah but, it's, <laughs> but it's difficult. You know, I think the bottom line here with BT is that it's, it's difficult to see a way out of this. And the shares are down quite heavily this morning. Mm. Um, which is Thursday for those of you listening, not on not on Thursday. Just don't buy the shares. <laughs> it's, I mean, it gets talked about as a potential takeout, doesn't it? With you know um, France Telecom or Orange or whatever it's called these days. But surely they're all in trouble as well, and they can they'll be able to see the the problems facing. <laughs> they're all BC. facing the same issues. You know, there's no pricing power in this market, and you're trying to sell products that lots of people are allowed to sell now because they've got access to the network. And you've got huge. They've all got huge debt loads. Mm. So the money is going to pay the debt. It's not going to pay the shareholder. And I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah, very tough, very tough business. Um, should we talk about Unilever, which also had some numbers which were not great? And you've been, uh, you've been kind of waving a bit of a warning flag over this one for a while. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, we had this discussion last week, didn't we, when we talked about brands and PepsiCo, and PepsiCo is one of the brands that. I have a bit of faith in, uh, and Unilever is one of those companies that I don't really have a strong conviction that this company can really thrive and prosper over the long haul. It is a big, lumbering, consumer-branded giant, and it is facing the issues. Obviously, we discussed the issues last week. You've got niche, young, up-and-coming brands uh, taking on, you've got this private label thing, which is, I think, one of the strongest forces um, in retail. 
certainly in consumer and one of the biggest threats to brands out there. And um, it's going to be it's going to be very hard for this company. And if you look at and if you look at the uh, you know look at the figures in detail of, of Unilever, and certainly look at it in developed markets in Europe and North America, they're just not selling. There's no volume growth here. They're not selling any more stuff. Even when they're cutting their prices, they are not selling any more stuff. And at the moment, Asia is bailing it out. You know, this is this is this is where the growth is. And the Asian business, despite there's been been problems in, in India, in the Indian market, we saw a big slowdown in growth in the last quarter of twenty nineteen. This business is 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 bailing it out. And then if you look at you know, look within the sort of divisions, home care had a very good good year last year. Food, which I think is where there's a lot to worry about on the food brands. That's where I think niche competitors, the private label, can do it. And even even on, you know, beauty. I know it sounds a bit boring, but you only have to walk around your local supermarkets now and and see the the beginnings of quite significant investment in cosmetics, healthcare products, and not not the sort of cheap and cheerful end of the market either, but actually trying to create an image, a brand image within the private label at a price which is significantly below what they're trying to sell for, what the, what the likes of Unilever are trying to sell, moisturisers, deodorants, shampoos, that kind of thing. And we're not seeing we're not seeing a collapse in this in this business yet, but I I I worry about its ability to withstand this kind of change in consumer choice that we're seeing. So so the shares, I mean, basically, so we're not seeing a collapse, but we're not seeing much growth either, and yet we are we are being asked to pay nearly twenty times earnings for the shares. Yeah, and the I app- guess that's the that's the mismatch here. Well I think they look at it, you know, this is a business you look you're twenty times earnings for a business that's growing its underlying sales at less than three percent a year. That's that's not right. Okay, so so you've got the company that was on the on the end of a takeover approach, what, two and a bit years ago? So essentially what it's been trying to do is do the things that a private equity or would have done, the buyer would have done, which is zero cost budgeting and that kind of thing and getting the margin up and that kind of thing that road runs out eventually and it's like any business doesn't matter you leave any business you have to have revenue growth and the guidance this morning is they want to they their target their is to is to grow it in the three to five percent per year rate, which is not fantastic mm. but you know you're looking at a business here with 52 billion euros of sales it's very hard to make unless you're selling cloud computing it's very difficult to you know for big businesses to get a lot of extra sales so, but they're now saying that you know they think that it's going to be less than 3% for the first half of the year and if it picks up in the second half and you always got to be worried when well, you get this second half waiting well, type if, issue if you look at these forecasts they are for an acceleration in revenue growth mm. or certainly like for like Sales growth, so so that's kind of optimistic. Well, I think I mentioned thought. in my report. I think I think you know, the risk of downgrade, profit downgrade here, and I think if you, it's very easy to just look at the the sort of superficial, you know, headline figures of a business. Now, I always encourage 
anybody who's owning individual shares outright. You know, you need to try and understand where these numbers are coming from. You want to see growth coming from revenue. And what we're seeing here is a very, very weak revenue line. If you look at the earnings per share line, which was, I think, 8.5% up, the underlying growth was actually not bad, but then you had a couple of percent coming, you had about 6.5% from the underlying, 2% coming on off from the sale of the spreads business, and then the remainder came from a favourable currency and a share buyback. Mm. So that 8.5% earnings growth was, okay, if you charitably say the 65 there, but actually it was about 4%. And we all know that currencies can, you know, I think if you look at constant currency, I think it was about 5%. So if we take out the buyback, which was about 2%, the earnings here are 3%. And, you know, Unilever is, you know, cited time and time again as a quality quality share because it ticks the boxes of branded, high margin, high return on capital employed, great cash flow, which it does. But you know, as 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 I've sort of been banging on for the last few months or a year or whatever, you need to have growth on top of that. You know, those are those are great ingredients to have, but unless you can marry them up with an ability to to grow and grow from a revenue perspective, then I, I think you can end up with a disappointing investment. And I th- that's my fear with Unilever. This this feels like a, a genuine example of elephants not being able to gallop. Uh, it's a very large company. It feels like it doesn't have the spark. There's what can actually make this business can transform this business. It's hard to see what that might be. I wonder if it just has to break itself up now or sell itself off, you know, sell itself off. Which is which it has been doing piecemeal. Yeah, so it sold off its spreads business, got quite a good price for them. But it has also been buying stuff as well. It's been buying sort of niche niche brands. And it's it said this morning that, you know, PG tips might be on the, on the selling block. Mm. But I don't know. I mean, PG tips is a product that, you know, it's had its day. Yeah. I still don't drink PG tips. I I'll, I'll, I'll drink, you know, I'll drink stuff I can buy off the internet. What do we drink? I don't know. Own label, I think. Yeah, you can drink. You can drink own label. I mean, yeah. but it's, it's tea's tea. <laughs> Not to me, it isn't. <laughs> I think you're the Yorkshire tea. I don't know. I won't even, I won't even touch Yorkshire tea. <laughs> um, Actually, I've been drinking green tea. But well, so, saying so, the tea, yeah. the tea business is, you know, on the block now. There are some brands out that brands in this portfolio that you know you always have you know private equity with lots of cash who think they can do things with brands like this. Hmm. So let, let's see. There, there, there might be something interesting going on with Unilever in terms of it selling bits and bobs over the next few years. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's you, probably if, what it has to do. If you've held the shares for a long time, you've still got a bit of decent dividend coming out of them. Yeah, probably not a, a level of dividend you'd buy in at today. Three and a half percent. That's not bad. I mean, bad. from a dividend point of view, you know, over the next few years, there's probably enough there to keep you happy. I think, from a sort of capital appreciation point of view, I'm not so sure there is. I'd be worried buying something for a three and a half percent dividend if I thought the shares were going to fall twenty percent. Yeah. So from a to, to you know, you, you've got the rating, which is which is up there. You've got the yield. You've probably got six percent. Dividend growth, five six percent dividend growth. Who, who knows? Suggests to me that there's not much upside in the share price here. No, no, and possible downside. 
Should we, uh, should we end on a, an even worse note? Oh, no, no. <laughs> it positive or negative, Phil? Well, we like to be positive, don't Let's we? finish positive. So we won't talk about McCarthy and Stone. We can talk about that briefly, if you oh, wish. Yeah, well, okay, well, let's, let's do a little bit of McCarthy and Stone and then talk about Auto Trader, which is my yeah, yeah, problem. Yeah. So, quite negative, positive. Yeah. McCarthy and Stone, I don't, I don't like this company. Uh, we've had some numbers out this week. I don't think you like this company very much. I don't. Looking at this extensive analysis of what, how hideous it is, what's the real problem here? Um, I think it's trying to sell a product that that a declining number of people want to buy, which is weird because we live in a in a time when there is an aging population, and this should be in the sweet spot of that demographic trend. It should, and it isn't because I think they are eye wateringly expensive. I think the pricing point on this is just eye wateringly. It's just shocking, you know, in terms of. What you get for your money? The problem, the problem was, if you buy McCarthy and Stone, flat, apartment, whatever, home, flat. the average price is about three hundred thousand pounds. And which is what? It's a, it's a two bed flat, one bed two. Working with one bed, two bed flats, the average is about three hundred. Yep. But it's all the extra costs that go with it. You know, you have to pay ground rent. You have to pay service charges for the for the complex, the apartment blocks that you live in. Now, even on the lowest end, you know you're probably paying two, just over two hundred pounds a month, and at the top end, you're probably paying seven hundred and fifty pounds a month in service charges and, and ground rent. I think the company has come to the conclusion that it's flogging a dead horse here, and what it's trying to do is it's trying to move to a rented, a rented business, or it's exploring going down this rented route. Okay, so there's that, but it's also uh, trying to incentivize, incentivize purchasing as well, which, is, which has been sort of somewhat problematic. It's showing up in the numbers. Yeah, I mean, builders have always done part exchanges. I think where you have to mind your eye on it is when you see a massive jump in the, in the use of part exchange. And McCarthy and Stone has, has a massive, massive red flag on here. Half the sales last year involved a part exchange. And the company's making a loss, not a massive loss, but it's but it's um, taking losses on this part exchange. It's also got, well, interestingly, quite a lot of unsold stock. Um, if you look at its build rate, which is about 2,100 homes per year, it has about 1,600 on its balance sheet, which it hasn't sold. And it says that 90% of them are less than two years old. I'm glad to hear that, but it means that 10% are more than two years old. And it is, this is, if you just look at, look at the results, dig into these results, everything that's screaming out of you with this company is, this is a really hard product to sell. We can't sell this product. We have, we have huge amounts of incentive. We've got big stock levels. We've got part exchanges. We've got a product that we think, well, we better start offering it for rent because not enough people want to buy it. And then you look at the rented side of it, and you know they're looking at if you include the service charges and the ground rents, because there was a review on ground rents from the government, but retirement properties are exempt. But you're not looking at massive amounts of money on ground rent, but well, maybe four or five hundred pounds a year. You're looking at you know even for a one bedroom property that, that these guys want to rent out fifteen hundred pounds a month. And I think this, and this is their figures. And then, if you look at the top end stuff, 
Um, they're talking about a rent of 2,600 for a two bedroom retirement plus product. And that's before you've probably flogged out, sorry, um, spent another six, 700 quid on service charges and ground rent. And my view on this is that why would anybody do this? Well, I don't know because I've seen a couple of them that are quite new ones that have been built out our way. One in, one in my town, which overlooks a car park and one in your town. Which overlooks the Miami roundabout. <laughs> yes, it's, it's not. They're not premium locations. They're buying. They're 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 buying the land on either, which I which I find surprising. You know, if I want to retire, I want to retire somewhere nice, not overlooking a car park in the centre of a town or a, or a roundabout. Mm. And 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 this this I find really strange. It feels like they've been scrimping on the land side of things, buying sites out of convenience, and then trying to sell them as as a luxury product. And yeah. it doesn't feel right. No, it doesn't feel right. I think it's a, I think it's a huge mess. I think it's a huge mess. Shares, shares have actually been recovering over the past six months or so. I, I, I really don't like the look of this one. Major shareholder wants out, apparently, though. I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's a big overhang there now. Indeed. OK, let's, uh, let's, let's uh, not put the uh, boot into McCarthy Stone anymore. Um, let's, talk, let's talk about Autotrader, which is a company that you do like, and it's always nice to finish on a positive note. So this is the subject of your magazine column. This week, uh, an extensive look at, uh, at what is an amazing business that's benefiting from these what we call network effects. Yeah, so just a network effect, just in, in simple terms, is something that becomes more valuable the more people that use it. So, right move is another great right example. move. eBay, for example, yeah. at one, you know, may, maybe not now, but eBay, eBay's but, still doing all right. But but eBay. You know, eBay, you know, if people use eBay, if you want to buy and sell, you've got to be on eBay. Mm. If you want to advertise um, the property, you've got to be on Rightmove. And if you want to advertise a car, you've got to be on Auto Trader. And what's been happening over the years is that more and more car dealers have moved on to Auto Trader, Auto Trader and therefore, really, they're not, they're not going to go anywhere else. And if you really want to... Be on be selling cars. You've got to be on there, and this is a company that has. Um, I mean, this is this is something that the company deserves credit for. It it has created this by giving customers what it wants, and what it's been doing is giving them more of what it wants. What it's trying to do is it's trying to take a bigger chunk of the amount of money that's spent on advertising cars, and in some ways that feels quite a difficult thing to do because car dealers are not known for making massive profits. But where they spend their money has been shifting from offline to online. Yeah, so your, so your local paper, which is where you would use to look for car advertising, pretty much dead. Yeah. Same as, same as it is for property advertising, to a large extent, all shifted online. Mm. Um, but it, it's fascinating. I mean, the other thing I notice when, I, when I'm in the market for a car... Which is pretty much all the time, and I never end up buying one. <laughs> you didn't buy that Toyota then? No, not yet. No, no. I okay. to look at it. Actually, she, my wife did go to look at it. I don't want to talk about buying cars because I've been criticised in the past for talking too much about buying cars. Yeah, yeah. Rightly so. Um, but all the other things you can now buy through the platform as a car buyer, there are so many extra services the vehicle checks, all that sort of stuff. Vehicle checks, the communication with between the buyers and the sellers, finance. Yeah, um, big uh, thing on there. The, the ability for the for the dealer to to promote their finance function. Essentially, what what they've been brilliant. They're they're a problem solver. This is a problem solving business. 
this is a company that goes to mainly the, the dealer, the car dealer, and say, look, we can help you buy stuff cheaper and sell it better, and we can help you sell it faster. So, you know, they have a huge amount of data about the market. It's about what Right Move has done. You know, right Move has built up this huge data bank of what's going on in the property market. Auto Trader have done exactly the same with the car market. And that allows them to make extra products and tailor those products to their customers. So, for example, you know, it can tell, uh, I don't know, a car dealer in Aberdeen what people in Aberdeen are looking for and how many of certain models have been shifting in that area. It's, you know, it's market intelligence. And, and it just keeps evolving. And what they're trying to do now is move into what they've been doing with used cars is to do it with new cars. So they reckon that there's about 120,000 new cars, so things like pre-registered cars, that are just hidden from the view of the general public. And they're starting to bring those bring those onto the site. They're also trying to um, get into like the fleet market and look at essentially before they've before a car, a big fleet gets defleeted is to give the dealers the chance to buy that stock before it goes to auction. Things like that. These are new things that are coming through, but there's you know they they're still incredibly optimistic and it's an optimism which I can see where it's coming from that they can do a hell of a lot more with what they've got in terms of things like um part exchange values, deposits, deliveries, um online finance, all that kind of thing. So, so, you know, the car market is is one that is watched often as a sign of, you know, the, the country's economic health. And it is a sort of up and down thing. We've, we've had very weak numbers from, from the, you know, SMMT, Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders, about UK car sales. Auto Trader has felt somewhat immune from a lot of the industry problems. Not quite. I mean, I think the, the, thing, to look, the thing to look at with Auto Trader is, is not the, the, the actual level of sales, it's the stock it's a stock it's a it's a stock based business mm-hmm. and what i mean by that it's the number of cars that are being sold so what's happened is that even though the market's gone through um soft soft phase the actual what's called a, the uk car park has actually been growing and it's up to about 35 million and there's about 10 million transactions per year about 8 million of them are used 2 million roughly rough, 2 million new 8 million used so that would suggest that so we should still be somewhat circumspect about the health of the overall car market when looking at auto trader. Yes, there, there is there is a it's not immune from what goes on, and you know if there are fewer cars being advertised because obviously the dealers don't want to have too much stock. Mm. That is the death of the used car trader. Um, that will mean fewer adverts through through auto trader. What auto trader has been very good at doing is because it has such such dominance because it's got this level of consumer of customer engagement audience engagement with the market so much better than you know eBay you know it's just i think eBay has got about 11% in terms of you know in terms of advert minutes and that kind of thing autotrader has got 75% of the eyes in this market mm. that's something that car dealers are prepared to pay for so what one of the things and one of the things I go to go into in the magazine magazine article is how they've been able to increase prices, but also get get dealers to buy 
more premium products and services and drive the revenue per retailer up. But what's even more impressive than that is that they've done it without increasing any of their costs. Well, it's operational, operational oh, geared. I mean, it's, 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 a network, it's, a, it's an IT data business. It's like right move. Yeah. You know, it's like it doesn't cost them any more to sell. You know, they've, they've got their staff in place and, and the staff and the systems that they've got in place can cope with one car, they can cope with a thousand cars. So you've got a couple of charts, you've got a revenue by, by employee, per employee chart, up, 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 up. Yeah. You've got the operating uh, margin, which is, is up from 48% in 2013 to... 70%. 70% approaching. 70%. It's very interesting that the sales of this business have doubled. The operating cost of the business has actually gone down. So all that extra sales, I think there's about 145 million of extra sale that's come through from 2012-13 to September last year. And the profits are up by 148 because the costs are down by three. So how does this then uh, look in terms of the investment case? I think good because, because the, there is an ability for the revenue to keep on growing. I think there's still a decent size of the market that these guys can capture. At the current share price, though? At the current share price, I mean, what are you looking at? 23, 24 times earnings coming down to, what, 20 times within a couple of years. For a business like this, which has got a market-dominant position, still got plenty of growth, got great cash flow, I know, and, and, and depend, the dependability or proven dependability there. Yes, it's got the operational leverage, but it's not obviously it's not risk free. But I, I just think it it's one of the best businesses I've looked at, and it's you know it's cheaper than Right Move, mm. genuine quality. And I'd rather I'd probably rather have exposure to that than 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 Right Move. Yeah, you, I mean you do have this in your UK quality portfolio. Yeah, you got right, have you got Right Move in there as well? Uh, yes, you do. You've got them both. Yes. <laughs> well, why not? Why um, not? Well, that's the whole point of that portfolio. I mean, as you've said before, UK quality companies. Somewhat thin on the ground. The, the portfolio is is you know is somewhat of an experiment as much as anything else. Yeah, and it's it, doing okay. We'll, it, see, we'll see. It's you know it's, I think it's you know the market's down point nine. I think that's up one point seven. One point eight here. One point eight. That's, that, that's got that's including a drag of point seven for stamp duty and and commissions as well. So actually the performance is up about two and a two and a half. Not bad at all. Thanks. It's early days. Yeah, yeah, indeed. That's a month. It's not bad. Anyway, thanks, Phil. Um, let me just talk you through what else we've got in uh, the magazine. In terms of features, Philip Ryan has looked at Brexit Day and looking ahead, in fact, to uh, the ease or difficulty with which uh, the UK can now strike a trade deal with the EU uh, before the 31st of December. Tricky, he concludes, but we shall see. We shall see. Lots in the uh, personal finance and fun section, which they will talk about on their podcast tomorrow, including the latest updates uh, from uh, the world of Neil Woodford, from the mucky world of Neil Woodford. All the usual comments, including Phil's excellent piece on Auto Trader. Simon Thompson, only one page in the mag this week because he's working on bargain shares. It's arrived today. You can all look forward to reading that next week. A very, very big news section. We're looking at recruiters in our news feature. We're obviously looking at the coronavirus, which has had a bit of a, uh, an effect on certain sectors, not least air travel and luxury goods. And some other really quite interesting stories there, including Just Eat uh, signing a deal with McDonald's. Just Eat obviously being uh, taken over or 
potentially taken over if the CMA doesn't get in the way. McDonald's had some numbers this, this week, which you liked. Yeah, they were good. And they're in the fantasy sip. They are. And of course, the big the big set piece feature we've got this week is the FTSE 350 review. 40 pages, sector by sector, looking at, at pretty much every company there, every sector, and what we can expect from those throughout the year. And uh, it looks to be quite an like, exciting year ahead, assuming uh, coronavirus doesn't bring the world to its knees, which it probably won't. Touchwood. Thank you very much, Phil. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back again next week. Pick up the magazine and all good news agents, the FIFA FTSE 350 review, our sector by sector guide to growing your wealth in 2020, uh, or get online and subscribe. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.